0: All right, so I don't know if you remember uh, from Sunday night, uh, Paul uh, finally made it to Jerusalem. Finally, um, it took him a while to get there, but he gets there. He meets up with James and some of the other um, leaders of the church in Jerusalem, and uh, you know they share, uh, you know, everything that the Lord has done. And, um, you know, I think I said this Sunday night, uh, could you imagine being in in that meeting with these men? You know, really pillars of the church back then. And then, um, you know, these guys that traveled with Paul were, um, you know, Gentiles that got saved as Paul was out in the mission field. And uh, just to hear their testimonies of what God had done in their lives and in their cities and just the power of God moving through um, moving through the, the Gentile uh, world. So after they get have this little get-together, and, we're, and just so you know, I, I don't think I mentioned this, we're going to be in Acts 22 tonight, just kind of summarizing Acts 21. So, you know, they have this awesome get-together, um, you know, share all the wonderful things that God has been doing and is doing, and uh, James and um, the guys come up with an idea, because you know this is Pentecost. There's hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. A lot of a lot of Jewish believers are there, and um, there's a concern of how they're going to react to Paul being in town. You know, because the rumor has it, and we. Um, covered this last time, that, um, you know, the rumors weren't true, but they still thought Paul was teaching that um, that you didn't have to have your kids circumcised, you didn't have to follow the law of Moses. A lot of rumors flying around, and they were concerned that there would be um, issues with that. So they asked Paul to accompany four other men with this vow, you know, help cover the cost for the vow, just as a show of good faith, um, you know, to the the bulk of the of this believing Jewish community, and uh, everything seemed to be going well, uh, but but um, some of the some of the Jews from Asia, uh, in particular from Ephesus, had showed up, and uh, they accused Paul of bringing Trimophius, um into the into the temple, which he didn't. So there's this big cry, outcry. You know, get this guy. He's polluted the temple. So the Roman uh, commander Lysias, Claudius Lysias, he that he gets word of what's happening, he goes down, takes Paul into custody, and now he's you know he's has the responsibility to um, to find out what was going on, what caused this, make sure it doesn't happen again. I mean, he was the peacekeeper in Jerusalem, and and during Pentecost, I mean the play, I mean it, it was like people on top of people on top of people. It was so crowded. And, um, you know, he had to nip this in the bud, really. Uh, So they can't, um, you know, Paul doesn't, uh, can't really explain what's going on. The crowd can't because of, um, you know, just how, you know, how the mob scene gets. Nobody really knew what was going on. So Paul has an opportunity now to speak to to the crowd again. Um, Lysias is allowing this. He he really needs to, um, he needs some information so he can write his report out of what happened, you know, because he's, you know, the Roman army was very um, rigid, you know, and Lysias knew that his responsibility was to keep the peace, and if there was anything going on, that he needed to, you know, to report on just the facts, you know, what happened. So, he is going to give Paul an opportunity um, to speak to this group again, so um, that's what we're going to pick up in Acts 22. And one thing I want to I want to read a verse out of First Corinthians that I read last um, last Sunday night, and it really, uh, and as far as you know, I'm concerned, really encapsulates Paul's heart as far as um, the ministry. And um, just being committed to it. In 1 Corinthians 15:58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And Paul really, Paul, Paul really believed that in his heart. You know, and and it, there wasn't going to be much that was going to um, persuade Paul to do anything other than just preach the word. And we're going to see that um, again uh, tonight. So there's three different New Testament accounts of Paul's conversion. One Luke tells us about in Acts chapter 9. And then there's this account here. And then there's another account, the last account, and it's in, is in Acts 26. So um, Paul's going to um, address this crowd. Um, he wants to... Um, give them an explanation about what they were so upset about. You know, he wants the opportunity to explain what happened. You know, that he didn't bring anybody into the temple. He's, you know, he's still trying to win these, these guys over to the Lord, and he's trying to clear um, any kind of confusion that there is with any of the believing Jews that are there as well. So a tall order for Paul, that's for sure. So you can break this chapter down into three sections, and I think we can relate to these because we, we've we kind of gone through these this progression as well. You know, the first five verses are Paul's former zeal for Judaism, his early conduct, and then his conversion in verses 6 through 16, and then the call that that God had on his life and has on his life, um, from verse 17 through the rest of the chapter, even though he's not going to be able to to really convey the whole message and get um, everything out that he wanted to get out. And that's similar with us, right? Um, you You know, we were a certain way before we got saved. Then we got saved, and that whole process of sanctification started in our lives. Right, And then as we were growing in, in the Lord, and, and um, you know, then God started to speak to our, our hearts, pointing us into ministry, different ministries, whatever it might be, coming to the church and you know, painting or whatever, the, you know, going out on the mission field, teaching a Bible study, um, you know, that whole progression, that calling that God has on our life. So the first five verses are Paul's early conduct um, before he gets saved. And something to think about as we go through this, you know Paul is like a master, as I've been reading through this chapter, you know the things that he's he's going to be saying in these verses you know he's really making an appeal to the heart of these of these Jewish believers, and of course there's a bunch of unsaved people obviously in the crowd but paul is is just making an appeal, and you can see um, you can see um, that it you know, I'd like to say that Paul was a, a real intelligent man. He was, but he was a very um, very much led by the Holy Spirit. And I really believe that this short um, exhortation by Paul is really spirit-led. Right? That's probably an obvious thing, right? So and let's read those first five verses. It says, brethren and fathers, hear my, my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them, in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictest of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering in the prison both men and women as also the high priest bear witness and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the, bro- to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there um, to Jerusalem to be punished. So listen what he's, I mean, what he's saying, brethren and fathers. You know, he's showing these guys right from the very beginning respect. He's showing them respect. And he says that, you know, that, you know, when they heard him speak in the Hebrew language, Paul knew that this would get their attention. And it's, once again, showing them the respect. You know, he didn't have to show, I mean, think about it. They were just trying to kill him. But yet he's showing them love and respect, turning the other cheek, if you will. And, and it's kind of a, a little side note to this. Elysius is um, wanting to hear Paul's defense and what, you know, maybe he's going to, um, glean uh, from what Paul says what, what has happened. But if you remember, we mentioned this Sunday, um, Lysias doesn't even know what he's saying. He's speaking Hebrew, right? He's a Roman soldier. So right now, he's kind of wondering what's happening um, with Paul, what he's saying. Um, and it's interesting, and, and you know, this is just the way I think. You know, when the tempest was raging and in, in Matthew 8, when, you know, Jesus spoke to the sea, and, you know, it just kind of settled right down. It got, just got went from a storm to being calm. And and I really believe as Paul starts to, to address this crowd, that he starts to speak in the Hebrew language, and it just took them down a notch. Just everybody got silent and just listened to what Paul had to say. And, you know, they're listening to a man who looks like them, sounds like them, because he, he was one of them, right? And what, he was, what he's saying to them, they, you know, they should be able to grasp and understand. So he says in verse 3, I, I'm indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. He tells them um, where he was brought up, that he came to Jerusalem and learned at the feet of Gamaliel, all right? According to the strictest of our father's laws. And, you know, it's almost a little bit like Stephen in chapter 7 where he starts out with his address to, you know, those Jewish uh, fellows that were there. You know, our father's this and our this. He made it, it was like a joint thing till he got to a certain point where he started to say, you, you. But Paul is, Paul is just relating with um, these men. And he's telling them the way he was. The way he was. You know, Paul was one of the leading rabbis in his day. In Galatians chapter 1 and verses 13 and 14, it says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So there's no doubt that that some of the folks in the crowd, um, you know, understood exactly what, um, you know, what Paul was talking about. And, you know, notice how he, he piles up his Jewish credentials. You know, he, he wants these folks to know that he knows what he's talking about. You know, he, this, the, this, this is real to him. You know, he was right where they were. Okay? So, um, he piles up these, these credentials his zeal for the law. I mean, and when, you, you know, he drops the name Gamiel, I mean, he was like the elite when it came to rabbis. You know, he was the leading authority of the Sanhedrin um, in the first century church. Uh, he was the son of Simon Ben Hillel and the grandson of the great Jewish teacher Hillel, the elder. So, you know, by, you know, Paul is, is, Really bolstering his resume and saying, "Hey, you know, I, I didn't just learn from anyone; I learned from the best." Then you know, Paul is telling him, "I was committed. I was committed to this cause." And we were talking about this um, Thursday, uh, Tuesday in the senior study because we're in Galatians. But it's amazing because Paul keeps driving home um, at this point to to you know these folks in in Galatia that you know, I understand what a zeal for the law means because there was nobody more zealous for the law than I was, but something happened, and we're going to see that. Paul's going to get to that, but something happened. And that's, you know, Paul um, is telling um, his fellow Jews um, respectfully um, what his life was all about before he got saved. And it's interesting, he shares his testimony, and they listen to a point, okay? We're going to see in a, a, a few more verses down that, you know, Paul's going to bring up the subject of the Gentiles, and, you know, all of a sudden, everything he said before that's not going to hold much water for them, okay? But his testimony, he had their attention um, to a point. And, you know, it's, it's the same with us, Right? You share your testimony with somebody and you have their attention to a point. You know, and maybe it's to that point when you say that, you know, we're all sinners. Or that Jesus is the way, the only way. Where you start to, you know, start to narrow things down and people start to get a little antsy. And that's what's going to be happening here with Paul. He's going to share his testimony and it's, it's going to captivate them for a while but he's going to get to a point where he's going to start to mention um, a little bit more in detail what God's called him to do. And it's really, it's going to cause all kinds of problems again. So Paul is zealous for God. You know, Paul is saying to, these, to this crowd, um, I share your zeal, right? <laughs> your love for the law. I, I, I do. I, I was just like you. But, but something happened. Something happened. I felt that way before, but something happened. And it was on the road to Damascus to, to bring more Christians into custody to where I met Christ. And that's where the change occurred. You know, it's, but God. You know, Paul is on his way to arrest more Jews, I mean more believers. And he meets, um, he's, he's apprehended by Jesus on the way there. You know, and everything changes when Jesus shows up. I think we can all testify to that, right? I mean, our lives took an about-face when Jesus showed up in our lives. When we acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and got saved, our lives changed. And how, you know, we're still in that process, right? That, That sanctification. But everything changed in our lives, and just the question you need to ask every once in a while is, how is that process going in your life? You know, are you allowing God to have that free hand in your life? Or we're going to see, like, Paul occasionally um, kind of debated with the Lord about certain things. And I, I know we can be debaters at times, but it's just um, it's just awesome to know that Um, You know, that God found us a certain way, but refuses to leave us that way. And that's exciting. You know, because we can look back behind and look at uh, everything that God has taken us through. And and get excited about it, because no matter what's in front of us, God is still going to be a part of it. He's still going to be a part of it. So Paul goes on and talks about how he persecuted, um, you know, this way. Uh, wanting uh, to bring back believers from uh, Damascus back to Jerusalem. And one thing about this way, what is this way? And when I was thinking about it, this way is Jesus. Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way, and he's not um, just the way to something. It's, it becomes a way of life, right? that way Jesus is the way it becomes a way of life for us it's a philosophy of life it's how we live our life you know we want to live our life we want to walk in the light as he is in the light and that's what Paul is saying hey guys I was just like you but but um you know something happened (laughs) something happened on that road I met Jesus and you know you got to kind of think this through a little bit. The, some of the folks in the crowd are the elders and the the leaders that gave Paul those written documents to go bring prisoners back from Damascus. There, there's a lot of important people in the crowd that are hearing what Paul has to say. So up to this point in Paul's message, the Jews could understand perfectly. And if they were honest, they, they actually could agree with what Paul has already said up to this point. Now the apostle is going to tell them an event which changed the entire direction of his life. And it will be up to them to decide whether this event was of God or not. He's going to lay out the facts. He's going to tell them his testimony and what the Lord did. And now, you know what, it's up to them to believe if it's true or not, if God did it or not. And once again, you know, it goes back to our testimony. You know, we, you know, we can share our testimony, but, you know, it gets to a certain point where that person either has to accept the reality of what you're saying, that God really did what he did in your life, or they just kind of walk away thinking, you know, there's something wrong with us, right? And people have said that to you guys, right? And I know people have said it to me. Yeah, right, you know, whatever. You know, some used to... I think the, the thing I heard the most was, a leopard never changes its spots. You know, so in other words, if that's the way you were, then that's the way you're going to be. And whatever happens in between, you're still going to never change your spots. But I don't believe that, and I know you guys don't either. So Paul's going to share his conversion now. And it's, um, it's just amazing to see how God gets his attention. So let's read verses 6 through 10. It says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. There was like no diction. They didn't understand what he was saying. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. So at noon, I've never been to Israel but um, I, I could imagine that when the sun's at its highest point on a sunny day in Israel, it's got to be pretty bright. Well, Jesus appearing um, and that light shone from heaven dimmed, you know, made the sun look like it wasn't even out. You know, just that brilliant, glorious appearing for Paul. And, you know, notice what his words are. The question is like, what shall I do, Lord. And the Lord tells him arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things which you are appointed to do. And it's interesting those that term appointed to do, um, the things that have been appointed. Um, you know, the the Lord basically is saying everything is in place, Paul. You know, Paul, all you need to do is simply just continue with the process. Okay, but you know. Paul's wanting, you know, what should I do, Lord? Paul wants the details. He wants like a, a blueprint, Lord, of what, you know, give me, give me an agenda of what you want me to do. And, you know, kind of think about this just to kind of put it in perspective. You're laying in bed at home, right? And this light shines in your room and you fall out of bed. You know, the, I mean, it's just this awesome, brilliant light in your room. And then you're, you're laying on the floor and you say, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, get up and eat breakfast. Oh, okay. Well, think about it. Paul, listen, listen what does he tell Paul? He tells Paul to do what he's going to do anyway. To a point, right? He says, get up. Okay, Paul got knocked down. He, to go anywhere, he has to get up, right? And then he tells him, going to Damascus, well, that's where he was going anyway. And then he says, when you get there, I'll tell you what the appointed things that I have for you. Right, so Paul wants all the details. I mean, we would like the five-year plan too, wouldn't we? But God doesn't, doesn't operate that way for a few reasons. If he gave us the five-year plan, I know for me, I'd be trying to figure out what part of it I don't want to do what part of it I wouldn't mind doing, or if I saw the big picture, I would be afraid even to get saved. You know, I would say like, Lord, just leave me here. I'm saved. I'm glory bound. I, you, you guys know what I mean? If you knew what you, everything that you lived out in your relation since you were saved, I mean, if God told you that right from the beginning, it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Well, for, for me, it would have been, you know, to think well, some of the things that have happened in my life um, since then. But what what does the Lord do? He just tells Paul, just get up and just go to Damascus, and everything's going to work out. Everything's going to work out. What you need to know, I'll let you know. But for now, just get up, go to Damascus, and we'll talk later. That's simple. And, you know, I'm trying to really make it that simple because I really believe that that's how the Lord wants to work with us. You know, there's a progression in our relationship with the Lord, and if you want to be used by the Lord, all you have to—if you really want to be used by the Lord—just walk in obedience, be faithful to the Word of God. You know, God loves us; He wants to mature us, but He holds us accountable to the light that, that He that He gives us. And if you want to progress, if you want your relationship to move forward with the Lord, then you know you need to cooperate with what he's doing in your life because then he's going to give you a little bit more info and a little bit more info. And you know what's really awesome about that is it builds an intimacy between us and the Lord and it really builds a dependence on God because we're not taking that step without him directing. You know, it's a joint effort, if you will. You know, we're keeping in step with what God is doing. And you see it all in Paul's life, right? I mean everything that well every not everything, I'm sure Paul when, you know they're not maybe not recorded, but he probably made mistakes, probably got ahead of the Lord at times, but um, you know that's how that's how we grow. that's how we grow. so Ananias, look at the way that Paul presents Ananias in verses 12 and 13. It says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up at him. So Paul gets his sight. But look at how he presents Ananias to the the crowd. Um, he, pronounce, he, pronounce, he presents him as a devout man according to the law, according to the law, right? Having a good testimony with who? With all the Jews who dwelt there. You know, Paul is, is saying that, um, you know, this testimony is important from a man like Ananias because it's convert. He's, you know, he's a, like a, a good, um, you know, when you fill out uh, paperwork for a job right? You know, he's a good reference. You're filling out a gun permit, you know, you want to try to put, like, a judge down or something, because, you know, people think, well, a judge has got, he's a good judge of character, right? So Paul is saying, hey, this guy Ananias, I mean, he's he's a man of reputation. He's a solid guy. You know, he he could vouch for me. What I'm saying is true, you know, and, and God used him to bring me to that place where um, you know, he was going to gain his sight, plus help him uh, with his relationship with the Lord. So we learn for the first time, really, in this section, in verses 14, 15, and 15, or and 16, um, what Ananias said to Paul. This isn't recorded in Acts chapter 9. So in these verses, it says, then he said, Ananias, the God of our fathers... And which is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has chosen you that you may know his will and see the just one and hear the, vo- and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. A few interesting things here. Um, you know, Ananias says, the God of our fathers. He's very specific. You know, everybody out in the crowd knows who he's talking about, right? And everybody knows who he's talking about, and that God is the one who chose Paul. This isn't, you know, and read the, read the beginning of Galatians. Paul goes out of his way to let the church in Galatia know that he's not this self-appointed apostle that he, he and the message are all from God. God chose him, God appointed him, and God gave him the message. And that hasn't changed. When You know, that's, that has not changed. The message hasn't changed, and the author of that message hasn't changed. And the power that's in the gospel and in the word of God has not changed. Regardless of what you see around you, God has not changed. The reality in uh, the truth of the word of God, the power that is in the word of God has not changed. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you and empowers you to live your life the way you live it, you're living it for Christ, has not changed. You know, we have that assurance in our hearts that we can have the same assurance that Paul is having in front of this, this crowd of over probably over 100,000 people who knows, during Pentecost. But he is speaking the word of God boldly with the confidence that God, is, God has ordained that and ordained these words that he's even, even saying. So three, three interesting points about these verses. Ananias states that it was God, the God of our fathers, who chose Paul and ordered the events on the road to Damascus. It was all about God calling Paul out. If the Jews were opposed and resist what had happened, they were really fighting against God. And when people resist, when you share the gospel, when you you take a stand for the Lord, you know, they're not fighting against you. They're fighting against God, the truth of God's word. Second thing, Ananias told Paul that he would be a witness for the Lord to all men. To all men. This should have prepared the Jewish crowd uh, for Paul's announcement that he was about to make about God's calling on Paul's life. And lastly, and we'll get to it when we drop down to verse 16, is that um, verse 16 is really a a verse that has been misused to teach baptismal regeneration. And we'll, we'll get there in a couple minutes for that verse. But Paul knew um, that he would share Christ before kings, rulers, and the Gentiles. And it's interesting because here's this progressive will, you know, God revealing his will in Paul's life progressively. Paul didn't know how this would come about, but because God said it, Paul believed it. You know, we don't have to know the end result, what's going to happen. God is speaking to your heart, is directing you to do something. We don't need to know the outcome. That's his responsibility. All we need to do is be faithful to that call, that prompting that God is putting in our heart. That's our responsibility. That's our responsibility. And so you can see that progression in that. And one more thing before we, before we move on. And um, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Think about what Paul is saying to this. Now he's sharing the gospel to this 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 huge crowd. Um, he's sharing his testimony. Um, you know, what happened on the way to Damascus? And while he's doing this, simultaneously, he's blow, blowing up that false narrative that started back in 30 AD when they said that somebody stole Jesus' body out of the tomb. They stole the body and hood it, hid it. And then afterwards, they said that he... He rose like he said he did you know I'm sure that that just didn't go away I'm sure that you know as people talked about that you know that position was a position that was held by the Jewish community oh yeah we know about those Christians yeah they stole Jesus body you know they hid it someplace who knows what they did with it you know then they said that he rose again and now they're doing all this weird stuff you know I mean it happens today right Today we um, today we call it just a you know a false narrative, right? Or misinformation. Oh, don't believe those guys. There's something wrong with them. That could, that could, that didn't happen. And oh, and if you believe that, we have a certain way to deal with you. You know, we can either crucify crucify you like um, we did him. Uh, but you know, so what they the whole thing is is just crazy. But Paul, it, it, who knows if he's even aware of it? But what, you know, all of these these people are hearing this for the first time. I got to think that Paul's message is being anointed by the Lord. People are hearing this, and they're thinking, man, you know, he's right. You know, he's right. There's just something different about these Christians. You know, this way, right? They were first called Christians in Antioch, right, in Acts 11. You know, there's just something different. And so here is... um. Here's how I think that um, you know, we need to deal How we, we deal with the lies and the false narratives of today um, This is how the Lord has been showing me Put our confidence in the truth Put our confidence in God's word You know That's for me the bottom line Like Paul, we believe the word of God We act on it, no matter how we feel or what's going on around us uh, why? Because we know that God promises a good result. we don't have to buy into uh, God'll give you the wisdom. God'll give you the wisdom you know, and that's all Paul did Paul to offset that false narrative, all he did was share the gospel and he shared the truth of what they needed. so that's my um short version on how to get ahead of the false narratives. you know sometimes you, you can't, you know, you hear things today that you don't even, sometimes you have to wonder, is that really true? You know, like giving crack pipes to people. You know, is that true or not? But when you think about it, it's it's insane, but it's true. So the idea is to pray and just seek, seek the Lord and, and just ask God how you can make a difference. And just like Paul did, and the church did in the first century, they changed and turned the world right side up, really, by sharing the gospel, by preaching the gospel, preaching the truth. So let's move on. The last point, uh, verse 16 has been misused to teach baptismal regeneration. So it says in verse 16, and now, why are you waiting? This, you know, Ananias talking to Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So the King James Version seems to suggest that baptism is required for the washing away of our sins. But obviously we know that's not the case, right? Um, in the expounded, expanded translation of the New Testament, um, Kenneth Weist puts it this way, Having arisen, be baptized and wash away your sins, having previously called upon his name. And then I found another more literal rendering that kind of makes it even make more sense. Having arisen, be baptized and having your sins washed off by calling on the name of the Lord. Now these references are supported by, um, you know, just biblical teaching some of the verses that you can use for a reference is Joel 2.32, Acts 2.21, and Romans 10.13. But, you know, we know that we're, we're saved by, you know, we're saved by calling on the name of the Lord. And the evidence of that confession of faith, you know, we're baptized. You know, it's pretty simple. Paul was filled in Acts 9, it tells us, in verse 17, that Paul was Filled with the Holy Spirit before he was baptized. Okay, so it's salvation first, baptism follows that. So it's the calling, not the baptizing, that affects the cleansing. Alright, so let's move on to Paul's special calling. And it's going to get interesting for Paul again. How would you like to exchange lives with Paul? Especially towards this end of his, you know, his life. You know, here he is. They're, the mob tries to already tear him apart and kill him. Now he's given an opportunity to try to win them back and to give an explanation that what, what was going on before they wanted to kill him. And now he's, um, he's going to end up in more in more trouble, if you will. But between verses sixteen and seventeen, Paul passes over some years as he's boiling down his testimony. Um, for his Jewish Jewish crowd um, after his conversion. So we'll read some verses and then we'll talk about that and probably have to wind things down pretty quick. So let's read verses 17 through 23. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. So Paul is going from, you know, being, you know, in Acts chapter 9, you know, getting saved now, He's talking about uh, being in Jerusalem. So it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I, I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So Paul debates, is going to debate a little bit with the Lord now. So I said, Lord, they know that I, in every synagogue, I imprisoned and beat those Who believed on you? And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, and I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they, the crowd, listened to him until this word, the word being Gentiles, And then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes, they threw dust into the air. You know, know, they're getting ready. They want to stone Paul because of that one word, uh, Gentiles. So a little bit of, Paul, Paul provides us a little information. This is the first time that we learn of the experience that Paul had toward the close of his first visit um, in Jerusalem after his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And you can follow that in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 30. So while Paul is praying in the temple, he falls into this trance and he heard the Lord commanding him to, quickly, to leave Jerusalem quickly because the people would not receive his testimony concerning him. You know, so Paul, you know, Paul debates a little bit with the Lord because I think Paul's having a hard time sorting it out to think that, you know, how could these guys not believe me after, you know, they knew how I was. They knew how zealous I was for the Lord. I mean, they just knew it, Lord, and, and, you know, I just can't believe that they're just not going to get a hold of that and, you know, just believe what I'm saying. And, you know, know, that's um, part of Paul's... Problem in this particular instance because um, he thinks he's he's got a a better angle or a better view of things than God does, you know. But God hears him out and then He just tells him, "Depart, for I'm I'm going to send you far from here to the Gentiles." And and we've all been there, right? We've all been there where the Lord has spoken to our heart, and then you know we come up with this thought, and that's the problem. We come up with a thought thinking that you know it's a better thought. Than God has, right? Have you guys been there? God speaking to your heart. You think you know, and you you're kind of calling into question. But Lord, you know, I think this might work, or I could I try this, or you know. And Paul is really by that way of thinking, he's he's really depending on on himself and not on the Lord. Like it's his testimony that's gonna change these people's hearts, but in reality, it has to be the Holy Spirit um, that's gonna do it. So, if you're arguing with the Lord, I can assure you of two things: first, you're wrong, and second that you're going to lose the argument and And Paul definitely found that out. so in verses twenty two and twenty three and it says, "They listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, "Away with this with such a fellow from the earth, um, you know, and I know that they didn't have any kind of space travel then or any kind of rocket, so um, you know, the only way they're getting them off the earth is putting them six feet under. For he is not fit to live. And then as they cried out, they tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. So Paul is about to explain, you know, how things got carried away before um, before this, you know, with the council and, you know, it's just apparently they just didn't, they weren't listening. The crowd wasn't listening. Um, you know, if they didn't hear what Paul, what Ananias told Paul in verses 14 and 15. You know, they were blinded. Once they heard that word Gentile, they were blinded by the hate. And, you know, that's, you know, that's still happening today where people are blinded by hate. You know, the word of God didn't affect their racial pride, okay, their hatred for the Gentiles. And it should have, but it didn't. And think about that. I I said the word of God didn't. It isn't that the word of God couldn't. It didn't, because they didn't yield to that. They didn't yield to that. You know, and are we still allowing our prejudices to short-circuit God speaking to us or working in the church? You know, Paul was called to minister by the God of our fathers. Right, God chose Paul, and He chose Paul to minister to all men. You know, God doesn't see race; He doesn't see color. He sees His creation. Right, He will be created in His image, and the Word of God sets us free from sin, and it sets us free from all of the the craziness that goes along with sin. And r- racism is is that is a sin that God hates, and it causes division, strife between His creation. And you know, as the church, I'm I'm so thankful that God has made the church, the church, colorblind. That God has made the church to to see people as as you know just brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that's kind of like a utopian thing, and um you know people might think you know David, it's a good sentiment, but it it could never happen but it you know I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. It starts with us you know as as believers you know if 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 you know we're looking at guys like Ananias and Paul and people who've come before us that have made a difference and th- where they've really been able to um really portray the image of Christ and you know when you when you see people like that you see that I mean you know they're not hung up on all of the stupid stuff in the world you know they're more concerned about somebody's well-being or you know just advancing the gospel you know and it's it's not about I'm better than you or you're you know and and Paul is you know I really believe that you know, Paul is trying to get this point across to these, these, these Jewish believers and the Jews that were there that were Jewish, that were unsaved. That You know, the, that whole class system, the way the whole setup needed to be changed. And Jesus was going to do it. And he is doing it. You know, think what this world would be like if the church, well, we know what it's going to be like when the church is gone. But just think about it. Think of the impact that you have. Think of the impact that this church has in this community. We don't realize it. We don't realize it, but this church has an impact. The people in this church that go out into the community have an impact. And boy, and that is something that we really need to hold dear and really thank God for because that's what he's created us for. He's created us to have an impact on our world, our community, in a way that Paul is having an impact in in this instance right here in Scripture, in the way that the first-century church did. That hasn't changed. What a privilege that is to be able to be different. You know, we were talking about this on Tuesday morning. You know, God has, God is not into cloning. You know, God hasn't cloned us all to be alike. God has called us as individuals, uniquely created, different in a bunch of different ways, but his kids, right, created in his image. You know, and and I I don't know if I'm going to remember the phrase right, but, you know, Paul was able to be himself in the will of God. And you know what, that's what God's called us to do as the church. That's what Paul's doing here. He's being Paul. That's all he's doing. He's being the Paul that God created him. He's being himself in the will of God, and that's what God's called us to be. God didn't call us to, con- to conformity in the sense of, like, have somebody squeeze you into a mold. God's called you to be who you are in Christ. You know, he, he's given you a personality that he's, he, he hasn't given somebody else. You know, you're unique in so many different ways, and that, that's awesome, and, you know, we need to, you know, we need to understand what that is, and and just allow God to use it. All right, so we're, we're going to end here. We'll finish the chapter next time. But I, I just want to leave you with that thought. Paul was, man, he was just Paul. He was, you know, he realized who he was in Christ. He realized that God had called him for a purpose. And he just devoted the rest of his life to see that through. And, you know, we're not the Apostle Paul, but we're who we are. And God has created us who we are uniquely, um, you know, and he, he's got a plan for us. You know, he has a ministry. He has a call on your life. And you know what? That call could be as simple as going to work every day. And I, I'm not saying it. I'm not trying to undermine this in any way because it's what I did for 30 years when I worked for the county. Wake up every day and go to work and be a witness. Be a light. Be an example. Have an opportunity to share with somebody. Or you know what? He could send you to Bible school. You can, you know, pastor a church of a million people. Who knows? But you know what? I'm, the point I'm trying to make is be who you are in the will of God. Be who God created you to be. It's that simple. And you're going to make a huge difference. Don't think you can't because you can. Don't think you can't because you can. not Let's pray, Lord thank you so much for um, Lord, just the work you're doing in us and Lord um, just so thankful God that you've made us all different and uh, there's a, a uniqueness about us that you have preserved in us that you've created in us and God you want to um, use us lord in in that particular way and i I pray God that we would um just uh, look to you uh, Lord uh, for Um, just that call that you do have on our lives, Lord, that we would understand um, what your will is for us in a a little deeper way that, Lord, we would be um, not wanting to have the the five-year plan, but, Lord, we want to walk with you every day and learn more about you every day and more about what you would have us do every day. And really, Lord, just enjoy as you unfold your will uh, in our lives. And, um, Lord, just to be uh, so privileged to uh, to be called by you and to be called your son or your daughter. So um, just do that work in us, God. I pray, Lord, that um, we would do our very best to cooperate with you in those things that you bring, bring and speak into our lives, God. Thank you for uh, the rest of our evening, uh, whatever, Lord, is as planned, I pray you'd get everybody home safely, uh, Lord, and that, uh, Lord, that we would, uh, just look to you, um, before we close our eyes and just kind of sign out for, um, this day, and Lord, and, uh, just, um, kind of recap our day with you, and, and Lord, really, uh, just fall asleep with a smile on our face, knowing that you're still in control, uh, Lord, that you're, uh. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and that we can rejoice in that. Uh, So we thank you and praise you for these things, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.